I've entitled the message this morning, The Key to Real Freedom. What is the key to real freedom in life? Well, to begin with, I want to start with a congratulations to uh, the Pfaff family uh, on the birth of their uh, little son, John Asher. I don't have all the full title and name down yet, but uh, he was born this past week, and I think they are doing well, as near as I can tell. And as uh, many have, uh, I'm sure, stopped by to visit or have prayed for them, Cynthia and I were able to stop by uh, for a few moments, and as Cynthia held the little guy in her arms, uh, I, I didn't want to, I was afraid I would break something, but um, she held him and it was just sweet to see. And we were just reminded once again, what a special day it is when a child comes into the world, when a child comes into our lives. It's such, such a special day. William Barclay is said to have um, made this statement. He said, the day that a child is born is a great day, but it's not the only great day. In fact, he said, there's another great day. Let me put this on the screen for us, and you can take a look at it. Two great days in a person's life. The day we are born and the day we discover why. I don't know if you've thought about that in a while, but it's a fascinating thought. The day we're born, a great day. The day we find out why, a great day. Because once we're given the opportunity to live, we're automatically faced with the question, why am I here? What is, what is my purpose? What am I supposed to do with my life? Now we have this precious little one. Now he's born into this family, and a beautiful family, and into the life of this church, and we're really excited for him. But at some point, he's going to be aware of himself, and he's going to be asking himself these questions. Why was I born? Why am I here? What is my purpose in life? Well, the Apostle Paul, whom God used to write a significant portion of the New Testament, God used him to put a whole bunch of stuff down for us. And, and so we're, we're looking at his life as a result of the letter he wrote to the Philippian church. And, it, and it's interesting that, that God, using this man who wrote so much of the scriptures on his behalf, wrestled with the same questions that you and I wrestle with. You and I face the same questions. Why was I born? Why am I here? What is my purpose? Can you imagine the Apostle Paul asking these questions of himself? And so this morning, I want to give you Paul's answer to those questions. What is my purpose? Why am I here? Why was I born? Because without an answer to that question, life oftentimes can feel so confusing. And sometimes we end up living, people end up living life without direction and meaning. And life can often feel like it's just broken when we don't find purpose. And when that happens, that's trouble. So just before we read the scripture text today, I, I want to tell you about something Cynthia and I witnessed, just an example of this brokenness right here in our own community. On Friday, we were passing by our local hospital. And as we were passing by the ER area, there, there's a crosswalk there. Now they've got another crosswalk, as you know, as you're headed down toward town. And we were between those two crosswalks, and uh, we, we had just gone through. The light had been green, so we didn't have to slow down or stop. And so we were going the, uh, I'm sure, the exact speed limit we were supposed to, 
Chaplain Bardsley of the police department, was going the speed limit. And uh, there were others right behind me going the same speed, and that was nice. Until I looked up, and, and Cynthia and I both saw this man, a young man, who was walking toward us. He was not in the crosswalk. He was not on the sidewalk. He was not even in the center of the, the street. He was in the center of my lane. And he was walking toward my truck in the center lane, looking me right in the eye. And this is what I saw coming at me, right in the center of my lane. And so I'm saying to Cynthia, what, what, uh, <laughs> you know, what's going on? He's right on me. And so I slow, uh, slowed down quickly. Fortunately, there was no one in the other lane uh, coming. And I swerved around him, as did the three cars right behind me. Now, I knew that there would be someone there at the desk that would see him if he continued on. And hopefully he got some help. But he had this look in his eye. It was on his face. And, 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 and he looked like he had been hanging on a cross himself. I mean, his, hand, his arms were extended out. Looked me square in the eye. And what I, what I felt coming from his eyes and from his face was, I'm so lost and so broken with my life that I really don't care if I live or die. That's what I felt coming from his countenance. Now, your guess is as good as ours as to what was going on in his world. Perhaps a mental illness going on. He was on his way maybe to a counseling center or to the ER to check himself in or some drug ingestion. I, 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 who knows? But it was obvious that he wasn't concerned with living. He was broken. So let's take a look now at how Paul answers the questions. Why was I born? I think about this young man walking toward us. Why was he born? What is his purpose? Why is he here? What was Paul's answer to those questions? Now, let's remember, just before we read it, in chapter 1 of Philippians, we'll start with verse 19. Just before we read it, let's remember this about Paul, that he's chained and has been chained 24-7 to a Roman guard. He is waiting. In fact, he's long been waiting for his appeal, his trial, to come before the emperor in Rome. And it's been a long time. Now, having said all of that, Let's read what he writes. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Now let me stop there. We're just going to read through verse 21. But let me stop there for just a moment. I want, I want you to just, you know, if you're an underliner or if you draw, put notes or whatever, or if you're taking some sermon notes on something else, for I know, it'd be a good thing to un un underline that word know, because that's his testimony. So this is what I know. This, this is what I know. It's not raining right now, right now. This is what I know, because I, I can see, you can't see out, but I can see out. It is not raining right now. That's my testimony about rain. This is what I know. And then he talks about this will turn out for my deliverance. I would underline deliverance, because deliverance has to do with salvation. That's being saved. We're delivered from something. And in, in, in the case of sin, we're, deli we're delivered from sin through Jesus Christ. And we have sa salvation. And then he says that deliverance, that salvation is the result of something else that's pretty important. I underlined prayers. 
the prayers of, of the people, the prayers of the Philippian uh, church members, so to speak, and attenders. And then I would underline spirit uh, and the provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. So you have testimony, salvation, you have praying, and then you have the work of the Holy Spirit all going on in that one little verse right there as Paul is suffering in this not very good situation. So let's read on a little further. Verse 20, he said, uh, through the prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body. Now, we might think that he's saying, uh, well, my, my hope is I won't be put to shame, meaning, and many people have taken this to mean that he thinks he's going to be released and not have to face you know, death, which, which could happen. Something really bad happened as a result of that. But I, I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think, he, I think he believes that's a possibility. But I think what he's talking about, because of that last phrase, whether by life or, or by death, he doesn't know. He says, I know some things, but I don't know that. But here's what I do know, that the salvation that I'm trusting in that comes from my relationship with Jesus Christ, that is not in jeopardy. That is not hanging in the balances. That is the real deal. So now, uh, here comes his answer to the question, what is my purpose in life? And it's in verse 21. This is his answer. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ. My answer to what is my purpose? Why was I born? Why am I here on this earth? The answer is, for me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. In effect, he's saying something that we find in, uh, in many, many parts of the Bible. Uh, I'm drawn in particular to um, uh, Psalm 118, 5 and 6. I, I can remember when our son was going through cancer uh, treatment. And he was, he was 13 at the time, pressing into 14. And uh, I can remember saying, David, how, how, are, you, how are you doing? I mean, I, I kind of know how you're doing physically. I know you lost your hair. I know the chemo's in your body. I know you're trying uh, with all your heart to, to do everything you can do. And you're trying to listen to your mother who's a nurse and she loves you and she's giving you good advice and the doctors and everything. I know you're doing that for your body. But I want to know, David, how, how are you doing in your spirit? How are you doing? It's like saying to Paul. So, you know, I know, I know you're trying to do a good job in, in you know, eating the food that comes and drinking enough water, but, but you're in prison and, and there's no end in sight. And you've been doing this a long time and you can't even go to the bathroom in private. And so, like, how are you doing spiritually, Paul? And so that was what I was asking my son. I said, David, how are you doing spiritually? It's just you and the Lord, because as much as I would like to have done that for him, the Lord didn't allow that. He had to deal with his disease and those issues himself with the Lord. And I can remember what he said. He gave us something that, that we actually put on, on his grave marker. Psalm 118, 5 and 6. And, you know, as a result of, you know, the garden was a beautiful place that God put Adam and Eve in. And personally, I do, not, I do not see any evidence of the fact that there would have ever been cancer or anything like that in the garden 
prior to the fall, prior to them being naughty and disobeying God. And the curse came upon man. And there was a, it's, a fallen, it's a fallen world now. And we have all kinds of evils and issues that we have to deal with and wrestle with. And thank God he helps with those things. But here's what he said. The psalmist, he quoted the psalmist. And he said, from my distress, I called upon the Lord. Paul, Paul from my prison cell, chained to this guard, I've called upon the Lord. My son said, Dad, here's how I'm doing spiritually. In my distress, fighting this cancer, I called upon the Lord. And the Lord answered me and set me in a large place. A large place as opposed to a little confined, tiny little place with no room to move. You know, he set me in a large place, a good place, a happy place. The Lord, listen to this, the Lord is for me. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Now, he's not talking about man, but he's, I think he's talking about the fall of man and what that brought into this world, all the troubles that we might face in life, whether it's relationship issues or sin issues or whatever it may be that faces us. That what, can, what can that man problem that you had to put curse upon this until Jesus comes and takes us home in him... What can that really do to me? Because I, I'm in a relationship with my God. Amen. Now, I, you know, I'm fascinated that a 14-year-old boy can see that. But that was how God worked in his life. And so his testimony gives me and his mother an opportunity and his brother and sisters to, to tell that, that that's possible for young people. We think our young people, they don't, they don't, they don't listen to these sermons. They're, they're bored or they're not sure what... You know, Oh, really? No, I think they listen. I, I think they listen if we'll give them the truth, if we'll tell them, teach them the things to, to know how to respond to hard places in life when they come. And so what can man, what can the curse of man really do to me? Uh, you know, Paul said for me to live is Christ. And if I die, it's a gain. It's a gain. I think that's where he was. I hope that's where you are. You know, we're going to explore the answer for just a few moments this morning. Because there's someone listening, whether in this room or on, on the, the internet or whatever it may be, and you don't know why you were born. You do not, as I've asked these questions, you do not know why you're here. You do not have a sense of what God had in mind for purpose and meaning for your life. You're still, you're still processing that. You're still thinking about those things and you don't, you don't know what the answer is. And I believe there's someone listening this morning who, listen, you once knew that purpose. You once knew that meaning. You once knew what, that, what those answers were. You once, the light came on at some point in your life and you once knew it. You may have found it at an altar of prayer or in a Bible study or at your bedside or where, but you once knew what your purpose was. What, your, what, what the meaning for your life really was. You once knew that, but you've, in the process of not just being evil or, or rebellious, but just living life, the pace at which we live life, and some of us have drifted away from that purpose. And here's what I would say as the preacher. You and I, if we've let a little of that drift away from us, we need to get it back. 
We, some of us need to get back on track. For me, it was 1959 when the scales came off and I realized as a young boy, eight years of age, that I had sin in my life, that I needed a Savior, that I loved Jesus, that I believed in Him, that I did not want to go to the other place. I wanted to be with Him forever in heaven. And I knew I had to, He was the bridge. That was the way to get across. And, and, and I wanted to have a vibrant relationship with Him. And so, so at the tender age of eight, in a very immature way, because I had to grow up and learn and mature, the light came on and I realized that I had a purpose and meaning in that moment. Now, I want to talk about that in just a moment. Now, let's remember some things about Paul. Let me switch gears. Let's remember these things about Paul. He was not born in an aristocratic family. He didn't have a silver spoon in his mouth. Okay? He was probably born about the same time that Jesus was born. Probably. Somewhere around there. He was a Greek-speaking Jew who also had a citizenship with, the Rome, with Rome, with the Roman Empire. At, at an early age, he, he didn't have a silver spoon in his mouth. He, at an early age, he was taught tent making. And he used tent making over the course of his life to help provide livelihood uh, for ministry and for himself, whatever. He studied the Hebrew scriptures incessantly. And he probably memorized a lot of the scriptures because as Paul traveled around, can you imagine? I mean, there were, we, we didn't have, he didn't have this. What, what he had was a whole bunch of scrolls and stuff <laughs> to travel all over the world like he did by ship and by camel and by whatever route he took. You know, they're not dragging a whole bunch of scrolls around with them. So I, I'm sure that he and many others in that time memorized the scriptures, committed them to memory. And so he studied the Jewish scriptures and he eventually became associated with religious groups within the Jewish community that uh, pressed for very strict adherence to Jewish law and tradition. And then as he progressed, he began to persecute Jewish converts to Christianity, probably because he saw them as deluding, maybe even disregarding some of the Jewish laws and traditions. They saw these, these Gentiles, even Jewish, Jewish people that were converting to Christ, and they saw them not being as focused on the law as they were on the love that Jesus said he wanted people to, to demonstrate because they were his disciples. And here Paul, as a purist, he's a purist, he's a legalist, he's a person that's saying, nope, the law says this, uh, it has spoken, thus saith the law. And that bothered him. It bothered him. It's sort of like, you know, if I would leave a, a, a sentence dangling, and for some of you it would just drive you crazy. Why didn't he finish the Why didn't he... It's driving you crazy. You've got to finish the sentence. Come on. So, so he's wanting them to be pure according to the law. They're, they're kind of diminishing it, watering it down, so to speak. So he didn't like this Christian influence coming into the Jewish tradition. And here's another thing. Most scholars think that he didn't really even like the thought of Jesus being the Messiah because he knew about the long-awaited Messiah. They're waiting for a deliverer. They are waiting for a king. They're waiting for someone to help them out, the Jewish people. And he's saying, it isn't Jesus because Jesus is crucified. If he was the real Messiah, why would he be crucified? I don't think he's the right one. And so he had all kinds of confusion going on in his mind and in his heart. But 
He had this dramatic experience, a conversion to Christ, when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus one day, somewhere, they say, they think around 33 to 36 A.D., somewhere in there, he had the Damascus Road experience. And from that moment forward, now here's a point, from that moment forward, Paul had his answer to the question, why was I born? What is my purpose in life? Why am I here? From that dramatic experience on the Damascus Road, he knew the answer. Now let me take us back. I'm going to read a little section in Acts. For those of you who've been with us for a while, we studied the book of Acts, and you'll remember chapter 17. I'm going to read about 19, 18 or 19 uh, verses because it has in it something incredibly important to how Paul was able to arrive at the answer that he did, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. That was his answer to why am I here, for me to live as Christ. That's the answer, okay? So let me read this for you. Uh, Acts 9, I think we'll put it on the screen for you. Meanwhile, Saul, now remember, his name was Saul before it was Paul. His name was changed to Paul after his conversion. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers. Can you imagine this? So he went to the high priest and he frequented, he requested letters, excuse me, addressed to the synagogue in Damascus asking for their cooperation in the arrest of any followers of the way. That's a capital W of the Christians, the people that were coming to Jesus. He said, can I arrest these people? Can we, can we nail their hide to the wall, so to speak? They, they should not be doing this. It's not good for the Jewish faith. It's not good for Israel. It's not good for our religion. So can I have letters to arrest them? And uh, he wanted to bring them, both men and women, back to Jerusalem in chains. As he was approaching Damascus on this mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down on him, around him. And he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. And the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. Now get up, go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Well, the men with Saul stood speechless, for they heard the sound of someone's voice, but saw no one. Saul picked himself up off the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he was blind. So his companions led him by the hand to Damascus. He remained there blind for three days and did not eat or drink. You know what he was doing? He was praying. We're going to find that out. Now there was a believer in Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord spoke to him in a vision calling Ananias. Yes, Lord, he replied. The Lord said, go over to Straight Street to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul. He's praying to me right now. That's what Paul was doing for three days. He was saying, I can't see. I, I was seeing just fine till Damascus, that light. And I, now I can't see. God, have mercy on my sight. He said, he's praying to me right now. And I've shown him in a vision of a man, a man named Ananias coming in, laying hands on him so he can see again. But Lord, exclaimed Ananias, I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said, now this is important right here. But the Lord said, go for Saul, soon to be Paul, is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the people of Israel. 
and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. That's key. For me to live is Christ, or if I die, it's gain. So Ananias went and found Saul, laid his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road, sent me so that you might regain your sight, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Instantly, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes. He regained his sight. Then he got up and he was baptized. He was obedient to be baptized. Afterward, he ate some food, regained his strength. Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days. In other words, if you could hear me now. In other words, he was born. What, what, what was his life to be? What was his life to be? Whatever Jesus wanted it to be. What is my purpose? Paul would say, whatever Jesus wants it to be. Amen. Why am I here? For whatever reason, Jesus wants me here. You know, I learned, I learned a long time ago, not because of, of any pressure, but I learned a long time ago because of, I figured out how, how, much, how my love works. And I figured out after a little while of making a few mistakes, that when it comes to where are we going to eat or what chair are we going to buy or what car will we drive or what anything, most of the time, I have an opinion and I'm allowed to have an opinion and if I feel strongly about my opinion and I want to put it out there and 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 try to defend it and push it out there. I do that sometimes, and I'm capable of doing that. But most of the time, my honest default answer to my wife is, whatever you want it to be. I just like being with you, so I don't care where we eat. I don't care what we do on my day out. I, I, just, I just like being with you. So you, you choose. Now, you know what she does then a lot of times. Is she says, well, I don't know. What do you think? You know, this goes back to me and then we can't figure it out and we stumble around. But that, that's, that comes out of a, a heart of love, doesn't it? And it says, you know, what, what is my purpose in life? What's whatever Jesus wants it to be? Really? At age eight, that came into my mind and into my spirit. It's like, what, whatever Jesus wants me to do and be in my life. That's the answer. So Paul was born to love and follow Jesus. And guess what? That's not just for apostles. That's for every one of us. To love and follow Jesus. To say, Jesus, it's whatever you say. It's whatever you want. Because my life, out of love and out of respect and of a desire to give back to you, is whatever you want it to be. And I can trust you because you are God who created me. And it mattered very little, if at all, whether his life was better or worse by the world's standards. See, I think, I'm, I'm not picking on anyone. This is, I don't want anybody to make a big deal out of this. But to just make a point of this, I believe that Paul would have snickered under his breath he might have even scoffed at the concept of 
your best life now. Your best life right now. Because it's an idea that suggests that somehow life is more palatable, if not favored and pampered by God because we follow Jesus. Yeah, those things can happen, and God can put his, you know, he can give us the desires of our heart, and, you know, you have not because you ask not, and there's all those kinds of things that are in the scriptures. But I, I don't think Paul, I think he would have, would have can you believe somebody said that? I, it's like, that is not your best life now. It's coming. It's coming when Jesus comes and we go to the other side. That's your best life. Amen? Amen? In fact, at Paul's conversion, in fact, at Paul's very conversion, we just read it. He was forewarned that his purpose in life was going to be impacted by much suffering because Ananias warned him. He said, you're going to have trouble. Before this is over with, being my disciple and loving me and doing whatever I say as your purpose in life, you're going to have trouble from that. So not only was Paul suffering imprisonment, but he was having to wade in a hard place while other preachers were demeaning him and saying not so kind things about him, ridiculing him in the name of Jesus. But his answer last week, we discovered his answer was, so what? As long as they're speaking the true gospel of Jesus, that's all that matters to me. I don't care. I don't care if they pick on me. I don't care if they talk badly about me. I don't care. As long as they speak the truth about Jesus. And to think that his imprisonment is going on and on and on without any conclusion. You know what? Emotionally, that should have worn him down, shouldn't it? Wouldn't it have worn us down? I mean, how many times can we, could we go down to the jail and, say, and meet a prisoner and say, how long have you been here? Well, I don't know, three months. Well, when's your case come to, I don't know, nobody knows yet. They're still trying to get some, you know, information out to somebody or can't find a certain person who needs to be there and whatever. And so it's just like every day is like you don't know and you're just in this place. And, and I'm not saying that happens here, but it, but it does happen. And it can wear on a person. It's like, I don't know when this is ever going to come to an end. But as we've seen in our study, Paul just, what he did was he just started witnessing to the guard that was chained to him. And we know from the scriptures that the witness went throughout the whole praetorium, the upper echelon of the guards in the palace. And so the gospel was moving forward, even though he should have had a reason to be down. And the man who would be hearing his case in court was none other than Nero. Let me tell you about Nero. In a nutshell, here's Nero. It's about 17 when he became emperor of the Roman Empire. If you study up, you'll find out that he was an immature, and one scholar said he's an, an immature punk. An immature punk in charge of the world, so to speak. Judged as one of the most evil leaders in history due to his lack of a moral compass. Most scholars believe that he was behind the burning of Rome, that even though he was on vacation some 30 miles away, that he was the one that was behind Rome catching fire. And uh, it burned for about two weeks, I'm told. And when he uh, heard that it was on fire and burning, he rushed to the city and acted like he was trying to get the fire out and try to help the people and, and try to look good. When the fact of the matter is, many scholars believe that he was the one who started it because he had a plan to build some, in, in that part of the city that was destroyed some pretty cool things that would have taken quite some time longer than two weeks to develop those plans. 
his evil behavior eventually resulted in the Praetorian Guard being ordered to assassinate him. Let me just say this in closing about Nero. The degrees to which he sank morally are not even appropriate for me to discuss in this mixed company. Whether it be from the manner in which he tortured people, and especially Christians, because what he did was when he got back after the fires got put out, the people were angry. And some people had said that he'd started it. And so to defray the attention upon himself, he had to find a scapegoat. Guess who he blamed? The Christians. The Christians set Rome on fire. And so they were persecuted even worse because of his influence. But the manner in which he tortured Christians is too gruesome to describe in this setting. And let me say this, it's worse than that. His perverted and deviant sexual manifestations and lifestyle would cause us all to shudder and say, don't, I don't even want those images in my mind. That's who was going to hear Paul's case once he finally got out of jail. So what did he have to look forward to? It was not Judge Judy. How did he stay on course with all the trouble that he had in his life? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now that's an interesting concept because you have Christ in me and me in Christ. If you're saved, if you have a relationship with Jesus, it's Christ in you and you in Christ. So where do we get that? Acts 17, 28. In Christ, who is God, we live and move and have our existence. It's in Christ that we have our existence. But you take Colossians 1, 27, he said it's a mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. So me in Christ and Christ in me. Do you see it? Do you get it? That was his purpose in life. And it wasn't someone else's idea. It was his own idea. And I, and I want us to begin to wind this morning down by looking at those first words. He said, for me, for me to live as Christ. I'm talking about me. It's not my dad's idea. It's not my mom's idea. It's not the coach's idea. It's not my girlfriend's idea. It's not my husband's idea. It, it, it's not an idea that is going to help me be politically leveraged. It, it's, it's not what uh, the human engineers talk about being successful in communicating in life so that, I can, so, so that I can be successful in my business and make some good connections. No, it's not for any of those reasons and other things we can think of. It's for me. I have decided for me, for me, to live as Christ. That's an incredible thought to me. He did not believe Jesus was the long-awaited Messiah. And yet, now he does. He said, for me, he's it. For me, I changed my mind. For me, he's Messiah. You know, sometimes we just have to own things. We really need to own things for ourselves. 
And, uh, you know, evangelist Billy Graham made many pronouncements over the course of his marvelous life, one of which had to do with uh, what he expected was going to happen the moment he passed from this life to whatever happens after this life. In fact, his last column, some of you have read it, it's been quoted and put in the, uh, in the media quite a bit by now, but his last column was written by himself and approved by him so that once he passed away, this would be his last column. And I give it to you in quote. By the time you read this, I will be in heaven. And as I write this, I'm looking forward with great anticipation to the day when I will be in God's presence forever, unquote. Now, do you think that, uh, you think that was because his dad told him that? You think it's because his already deceased wife had tried to convince him that that's what would happen once he died? You think it was because uh, Franklin finally got his life together and said, Dad, I'm pretty sure this is what happens right after. You think it's what any of the presidents of the United States that he knew pretty well uh, convinced him of? No, so, no he, he, didn't, he didn't care what you and I think about it. He doesn't care what Pastor Tim thinks about it. He doesn't care what anybody thinks about it. He said, I have decided for me, for me, this is what's going to happen when I'm gone. He decided in his own heart and mind what the scriptures teach about what happens when Christians pass from this life to the next. They go to a place called heaven or the presence of the Lord. It's the same thing for the Apostle Paul. He had decided in his heart, he had decided in his mind, on the road to Damascus, he decided that Jesus was, in fact, the long-awaited Messiah. And the reason Paul was born in this life, the purpose that he had in this life, was to serve him. That's the answer. That's Paul's answer. What is my purpose? Why am I here? What am I supposed to do? Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, listen. For by grace you've been saved through faith. Through faith. Not, not, because, not because the seminary said so, or not because uh, your father or your mother said so, or your grandmother said so, or you know, even the preacher said so. For by grace you've been saved through faith. For you to decide by faith, you and I, by faith, my dad did not walk me to the altar when I was eight, and my mother did not walk me to the altar. I walked myself to the altar. And most of you can remember who know that experience. You did it for you. For me is Christ. Not as a result of works, so that no one can boast, for we're his workmanship. Now listen to this. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Paul said, my, 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 my deal is I was created to serve Jesus with good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. So my question to you this morning, is everybody listening? My question to you this morning is, has God given you faith to believe in Jesus for you? Not because someone else wants you to do it or someone else told you it was a good idea. But God, you know God has given you faith, like Paul, to believe in Jesus. 
Have you said yes to Jesus? Have you repented of your sin? Have you asked Jesus for forgiveness? Can you say with Paul, for me, for me, it's all about Jesus, for me, because I have faith to believe. So you can settle that right now. So see, you came in and we asked some questions. What's your purpose? And you say, well, I don't know for sure. I don't know, I'm still trying to figure that out, okay? Well, here, here's your answer right here. Have you, by faith, trusted Jesus to be your savior? And have you committed to live your life in service to him, like whatever you want, Jesus, whatever you say, it'll be all right with me. With heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment. Listen, this is a very private moment here, but I'm speaking to somebody's heart right now because I believe God is giving somebody faith to believe in Jesus right now. And you weren't really sure about it before you got here. You kind of hope so, maybe so, but God is giving you faith right now to say, yes, Jesus, I believe you're who you say you are and that I need you in my life and I'm sorry about my sin. I ask you for forgiveness and I want you to come into my life and I want you to be the master now, the leader of my life and my purpose will be now given in your hands. So Jesus, I believe in you and I'm asking you to come into my life and save me. Be my savior and be my friend and be the helper that I need to make it through this life. And because you've given me faith, God, I, I am choosing Jesus on my own. For me, it's Jesus today. Thank you, Jesus, for hearing me. If you prayed that prayer and you meant that, today you've found your purpose in life and it's to serve Jesus Christ. Today, for me, my purpose is clear. Now I understand that I was created in Jesus Christ for good works, for to me, to live is Christ and to die as gain. Now, let me, in a spirit of great love and tenderness for the flock, suggest that there may be some of us here this morning before we leave, that we have said yes to Jesus. And we know we have said yes to him, that God has given us faith to believe. And we have made our way to an altar, whether it's in our heart or in the church place or wherever, and we have given our hearts to Jesus Christ. And we know what you're talking about, Pastor, when you're talking about by faith and for me. And yes, I have, I have taken advantage of the faith God has given me to believe in Jesus. But somewhere, somehow along the line, I have let living in this world, my work is crazy. And I've got kids in my house and I, it's, I love them, but it's crazy in my house. And our schedule is crazy with music lessons and sports games and studies and all kinds of things. And my, I have a hard boss and I have in, in our relationship with my spouse is sometimes it's a little shaky and, and it gets a little crusty sometimes. And, I, and I've kind of drifted away from you being my sole master. I, I know I have drifted. And when that happens, our time is not well spent. We, we don't spend our time well. Guess what else happens? The church is begging for volunteers when that happens. There's not enough volunteers because people have gotten off track and they're no longer saying, Jesus, whatever you say is what I'm going to do. 
When that happens, here's what happens. Men are intimidated to pray in public. If you're a man today in this church and you're intimidated if somebody asks you to pray out loud, then I'm talking to you. Because that's not what happens when you give your life to Jesus. And he says, can't you talk to me with any degree of of confidence? Because you say you love me. When that happens, you know, we we read the word of God but we have not been sensitive to its transforming power. We just read our our three-chapter quota, or four, and we're trying to read the whole Bible, but it never changed us. That's what happens when we pull away, we drift away. We didn't mean to. We're not in rebellion. We're not trying to give Jesus a hard time. We're not trying, we're not on the verge of becoming atheists or agnostics. No, we still believe, but we got off track and Jesus is saying, hey, remember, remember when I took the scales off your eyes and I showed you what real truth was and my father gave you faith to be able to believe? Remember what you told us if, if we'd take you to heaven and be with you and just love you like nobody's ever loved you before and give you purpose and meaning in life? Remember what you said? You said, I'm in. You're my savior. You're my master. Uh, you sit at the wheel and you steer this ship and you tell me where to go and that's where it's going to go. Remember when you told me that? I would like for you to come back and talk to me about that because it looks to me like you've kind of drifted off from that. The love Jesus commanded us to live toward others, it doesn't permeate the atmosphere of our lives. Love does not permeate the atmosphere of your home. Love does not permeate the atmosphere of your marriage or your relationships. And love does not permeate the atmosphere of the church where you worship and serve. When we get off track and we don't follow through with the things we told Jesus we would do if he'd asked us to. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So with heads bowed and eyes closed. For those for whom the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart. I don't know who you are, but God does. He put this on my heart to share. I would ask you to pray a prayer like this. God, if that's me you're talking to this morning, if it's me, and I'm pretty sure it is, I want want you to know I'm sorry, Jesus. Somehow, somehow I just didn't stay focused like I should have. And it's helpful to see Paul stayed focused in a hard place. I think I'm in a hard place sometimes, but I, I, I get... I get my focus lost. So thank you for giving us Paul as an example that it can be done and that you will help me in the hard places. And so today, on this 25th day of February, 2018, I am recommitting the things I told you some time ago that I was gonna be about. And that is whatever you say is all right with me. Wherever you lead, I will follow. Wherever you say to go, I will pursue. Whatever mountain to climb, I will do my best to climb it. Whatever valley I must walk through, whether it even be to lose my life, as Paul said, and he did, I am willing because for me to live is Jesus. And I want to recommit myself to you this very day. And I know you hear my prayer. I know you hear me when I pray. I'm sorry I drifted. Thanks for taking me back in. 
refresh my batteries, my spiritual batteries, and I'm going to do my best to be different. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I close with this little story. I was recently watching the movie Hugo. Anybody seen it? Hugo? It's a little boy. His father died. He was an inventor. And he, he, he made machines. He was just very creative with machines. And, he ma- and his dad made this a- automaton. It was like, a, we would say it was like a mechanical man. You know, and it was all made out of steel, metal, and gears, and, and uh, springs to wind up, and all that sort of thing. And this little boy, he didn't, he didn't know much about his father. All, all he knew was his father was a builder of machines, and he left this automaton behind after he passed away. And I caught, the, I caught these two lines from that movie, and I, I looked it back up, and I wanted to get it just right to make sure I'd gotten it just right. But here's what Hugo Cabret said in this movie. I'd imagine the whole world was one big machine. Machines never come with any extra parts, you know. They always come with the exact amount they need. So I figured if the entire world was one big machine, I couldn't be an extra part. I had to be here for some reason. That's you and me. We're here for some reason. And then to close, he said this. Maybe that's why a broken machine always makes me a little sad because it isn't able to do what it was meant to do. Maybe it's the same with people. If you lose your purpose, it's like you're broken. If you lose your purpose, it's like you're broken. The real key to freedom is to know your true purpose in Christ Jesus.